0: All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Ephesians chapter 4 is our goal to get through the rest of the chapter this morning, but we'll just see what happens. You'll have to bear with me. I have been under the weather this week, and so I'm not shaking hands or hugging babies or shaking babies and hugging hands this week. So uh, forgive me if I have a weak voice as well. I'm going to do my best to power through, and I've got a little water, and so uh, we'll see what happens. Ephesians chapter 4 putting on in Christ as we continue through a series in uh, the book of Ephesians really coming off where Paul makes this transition into from doctrine into duty and you have the verse the first verse of chapter 4 I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called so what does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling well he goes straight into what it looks like to be part of a communal body of believers and how we we work through unity together. We maintain that unity together. And now he's going to get into this take off and put on portion of this chapter where you actually get some, some application that, that comes in. And the clothes that you wear, you, you dress differently for whatever activity you're about to go do. So if I was to go snow skiing, I would not dress as if I was going uh, water skiing. And if I did, that would be Ridiculous on my part. I wouldn't, you know, want to dress like I'm going to a rodeo if I was actually going to the courtroom. I know some of you probably do, but maybe you shouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't want to dress like I'm going for a run or going to the gym if I was actually going to a formal wedding. That would be awkward when I got there. And so you dress accordingly. And what he's saying is there's a time now that you are new in Christ that you're going to take off the old and you're going to put on the new. It's like putting on. New clothing. So after you take a shower, you don't get out and put your dirty clothes back on because that would defeat the purpose of taking the shower. Um, so he says there in verse 22, as we pick up where we left off a few weeks ago, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. As I pointed out a few weeks ago, this has two ways of interpretation. There's a, it's indicating that there has been a completed past action to put off the old, meaning that in Christ, You have put off the old self. You have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer you who live. So you are a new creation in Christ. But there's also this sense of imperative that takes place here of you need to now put off your old self, this action of a believer. So in order to put on new, you have to take off old. And so uh, we can no longer walk as we once did. It's like someone who has been released from prison and they take off their prison garb as soon as they're released and put on civilian clothes because they no longer want to be identified as someone who is a prisoner. Am I right? It would, be, it would be silly if you continue to walk around town with your prison garb on after being released, after being set free. But this is the case when it comes to sin. In John 8:34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if we, who are a new creation in Christ, don't take off the old and put on the new, but continue to wear our old slave clothes, it's just showing that I'm going to participate in sin because I am now still identifying as a slave to sin. Galatians 5.1. For freedom in Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now that you've been set free, you're to walk in freedom. You're not to be back in those old ways of your old self. So in Ephesians chapter 4, 25 through 32, we're going to see five imperatives of a takeoff and put on. And I hope to get through all five, but I might get through one. So you just never know. Just keep, keep yourselves ready for that. These are biblical imperatives that are given for communal living of what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy. Of the gospel. So, what does it look like? Well, it looks like this is how you would treat others if you put on Christ. So, Paul's not giving us a list of things do this, do this, do this, and then you'll be saved because that is legalism and not true. He's saying God has changed you, He has saved you by His grace, and this is how someone whose life has been saved by God and God's grace lives. They live in obedience by taking off blank and putting on blank in Christ. This is what it looks like to walk in Christ. It is a grace-enabled obedience. Grace enables obedience. If it wasn't for God's grace, you would not be able to be obedient at all. However, people who misinterpret grace, they use grace to excuse disobedience. Grace does not excuse disobedience. It enables our obedience. So let me read Ephesians as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Today, as we read your word aloud, we pray, Father, that it would be embedded in our hearts, that we would be a people who long to put on Christ, that we'd be a people who long to take off falsehood, take off the things of our past, and walk in newness of life. We thank you for the freedom we have. We thank you for the spirit that you've given us to be an aid, to be a help, to be a guide, to live within us, to spur us on. We thank you for the grace that we've received that enables obedience. And I pray, Father, today that if any of us are walking in disobedience, you would draw us to repentance. You'd break our hearts for sin that we should not have in our lives, that we would not be comfortable in hypocrisy and idolatry You would lead us towards a genuineness of love towards you, tenderheartedness towards others, and kindness in our character. In Christ's name, amen. So here Paul is going to give us five examples of what it means to live distinctively as a Christian. So this is the evidence of someone who has taken off their old Adam and have put on Christ. Number one, put on truth in Christ. Put on truth. So in grace-fueled obedience, take off falsehood and put on truth in Christ. Falsehood is a very large and broad term. When you take off falsehood, it says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for he remembers one another. This falsehood has many different aspects. So let's look at the first one. Take off the falsehood of lying. This seems pretty obvious, right? The falsehood of lying. Uh, in a book called The Day That America Told the Truth, it states that 91% of us lie regularly. Of the people interviewed, 92% said the main reason for their lying was to save face. And 98% said the reason they told lies was to not offend people. Now, they might have been lying when they were taking the survey. I don't know. But uh, it, this shows that there, there's this common practice among people that, well, well. Well, tell a lie as long as I'm not going to hurt someone's feelings. I'll tell a lie as long as I can get out of something that's not that big of a deal. And so there tends to be this lying that goes around. And so why do we lie? We lie in order to make ourselves look better. We lie in order to protect ourselves from consequences. We lie to gain something that we want that we would not have had we not lied to get it. And when we lie, as Jesus says in John 8, we're like our father the devil for you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's de- what your father desires he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies he lies out of his own character isn't it, isn't it an interesting thought that if we lie it reveals our character It's really what's on the inside coming out in our words. Gregory Brown says, When we lie, cheat, and exaggerate, we mimic our old father Satan. It was his lie in the garden that led to the fall. In fact, as ruler of this world, he built the entire world system on lies. Success is this. Beauty is that. Marriage is this, etc. The world is built on lies. The enemy lies to pull people further away from God and further away from God's plan for their lives. This is exactly what Satan did in the garden to lead Adam and Eve away from God, and he does the same to people today. When Christians lie, they not only mar the image of God, but also push themselves and others further away from God. The world says, if this person is a Christian, then I want nothing to do with Christ. When we lie, cheat, deceive, We open the door for the devil to work in and through us. Wow. Lying. Paul comes in pretty strong here with falsehood. Let me ask you, have you lied recently? Children. Teens. Let me ask you, have you lied to your parents this week? Did you lie because you were trying to save face? Did you lie because you were trying to get out of something? Did you lie because you didn't want... To be accused of something? Husbands and wives, have you lied to your spouse this week? Just left out some information you didn't want to you didn't really want to tell them? Employer. Employee. Have you lied at work? Church member? Have you lied to a brother and sister in Christ? See, we lie a lot of times to protect ourselves. And when we do that, we actually hurt not only ourselves, but those around us. So take off falsehood of lying. The second one, take off the falsehood of omission. What is lying by omission? Well, it's just telling the partial truth. And this was always my favorite as as a child because I would tell the truth. I would just leave out all the details that would incriminate me, right? When I was telling the story, like, Let's leave out all the details that would make me look bad, but I'll tell you the truth. This is what really happened. But it's the lying of omission. It's the withholding of information. It's falsehood. What about the falsehood of exaggeration? Maybe you've heard of people who have lied on their resume in order to get a job. Maybe they've exaggerated to get a a promotion, or they've exaggerated to influence others in their in their decision making. What about the falsehood of defamation? Defamation, the action of damaging the reputation of someone, better known in Christian circles as slander. Slander occurs when someone shares something about someone else that is not actually factual, or perhaps even it's a partial truth, but it results in that individual's reputation being dragged through the mud. We may say things like, well, I'm just telling the truth about that person. In actuality, we're just picking out a certain aspect of that person's actions or character in order to tear them down in other people's eyes it's falsehood in fact proverbs 6 16 through 19 there are six things the lord hates seven are an abomination to him haughty eyes a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans feet that make haste and run to evil a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers lying tongue and a false witness who breathes out lies who sows discord among the brothers these are things that the Lord hates it's a falsehood the next one's a falsehood of idolatry in Romans 1 25, we we hear that idolatry is the exchange of truth for a lie because they were exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever amen This is idolatry. Just as Adam and Eve exchanged the truth for a lie in the garden and looked at the created fruit and desired it over desiring the relationship they had with God, they decided to pursue what satisfies their desires rather than what really satisfies. All we have to do is look around the world today and we'll see that we are gripped by falsehood. The television is full of lies. What is, what is news this, this time? You know, but what is the news? What are commercials? What are commercials trying to do? I mean, you think about, uh, I've got three examples. Palm Wonderful, it's a pomegranate juice. It ran an ad that promised consumers that they could cheat death by drinking that pomegranate juice. Listen, if you drink this, you can cheat death. What a great ad campaign. It went on to say it can help prevent, uh, prevent premature aging heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, and even cancer. And when pressed about this, Palm argued that it was just too much work to conduct the clinical trials to prove their claims. All right, 2008, Coca-Cola launched an ad campaign in Australia claiming that Coke does not contribute to weight gain, tooth loss, or obesity. And if you like Coke, that's just good news for you, right? you're like, see, I told you it was healthy. 2010, Kellogg's boasted that Rice Krispie Treats and Cocoa Krispies could actually boost kids' immunity. I mean, the world's trying to sell us a lie. Isn't it? It's trying to sell you a lie so that you will worship things, images, ideas, and pleasures over the Creator. If I just had that, that would satisfy me. Oh, have you seen this? This is what I need. It's a falsehood of idolatry. John Calvin said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. It's always coming up with new things to love, new things to worship. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart that we inherited from Adam is sick. It's diseased with sin. It's diseased with selfishness, and it's easily seduced into idolatry. Your heart's deceitful. It will lie to you. It will mislead you. It cannot be understood. It cannot be tamed. And as soon as you think you've mastered it, you'll find yourself fixating on something else for pleasure. It's a falsehood. So take off the falsehood of idolatry and take off the falsehood of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, as we know, refers to claiming to believe something but then acting in a completely different manner. It is where you get the term literally one who wears a mask. Churches are accused of this all the time. You ever heard of a church being accused of being just a bunch of hypocrites? Oh man, that church That, that church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Well, it's not just church people that get accused of being hypocrites, it's just religious people. Religious people who follow rules, but then really their, their hearts are completely different than what their actions say. As Jesus would say in Matthew 15, 7 through 9, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus says, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child as hell as yourselves. Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind God, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. As Kevin DeYoung Young says, hypocrisy is the gap between public persona and private character. Hypocrisy is failure to practice what you preach, appearing outwardly righteous to others while actually being full of uncleanliness and self-indulgence. That's the definition of hypocrisy. It's a falsehood. Our world is doing everything that it can to tear down the standards of morality that are set forth in God's word and the world will measure and judge the credibility of Christ on the basis of how Christians take off falsehood and put on truth. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, God planned to show the world that his power and grace and redemption and forgiveness, his plan is you. The church is on display to show the forgiveness, the redemption of Christ. So, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So if you take off falsehood, then you put on truth. Well, what is truth, right? This is the famous saying of Pilate when Jesus is on trial. What, what is truth? He's stuck in a situation where he's, he's hearing things from all different, all different sides. And he's like, what, what is truth in this? Theologically, Stephen Lawson says, truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory and being of God. Truth is the self-disclosure of God himself. It is, what it, is, it is what it is because God declares it so and he made it so. All truth must be defined in terms of God, whose very nature is truth. So just as in Pilate's day, the culture was trying to disregard absolute truth to justify personal action. Those today who hold to this belief believe that truth is relative. And so they believe that morality is relative. Everything is dependent upon something else. This is situational ethics, as someone would say. It's a belief that what is right and wrong is relative to the situation that you're in. Therefore people begin to make decisions for their life based on situations. Situational ethics is subject to whatever feels good, whatever feels right in the moment. And that is devastating. It's devastating to individuals and to society. And even unfortunately, believers, when Counseling other believers have a tendency to use situational ethics to give advice. And that's not speaking the truth in love. Because this is truth. And if you are to speak truth to another brother and sister, you might speak a truth that hurts their feelings. You might, you might tell them something they don't want to hear because situationally it may not make, make them feel better. It may not be most pleasurable for them, but this is truth. And so we are to take off falsehood, and we are to speak truth with one another. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The church is sanctified by the word of God. So put on righteous anger in Christ. In grace filled obedience, take off unrighteous anger and put on righteous anger in Christ. We, it sounds interesting. you think it would be like take off anger, but he doesn't say that. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So there's two types of anger. There's a righteous anger and then there's an unrighteous anger. Righteous anger is an anger against sin. It's an anger against anything that is an offense to God. That's righteous anger. You can be angry and not sin. But typically we are angry at things that cause us to sin because it's not a righteous anger that we have. We're not angry at sin. We're angry because it's an anger at others. That's an unrighteous anger. It's an anger at anything that offends me. Every time we get angry, it's usually because you've offended me. You've made me mad. This is what you've done to me. And so I'm gonna have to lash back out. Matthew Henry says it better. He says, if we would be angry and not sin, we must be angry at nothing but sin. And we should be more jealous for the glory of God than any interest or reputation of our own. So be angry, but don't let it lead you to sin. So don't let anger lead to sin. James 1, 19 through 20, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How do you know if it's the anger of man? It's leading you to sin. If if your anger is leading you towards hostility, conflict, jealousy, gossip, slander, outburst, disputes, dissensions, yelling, abuse. Listen, if you're in an argument and you raise your voice, you've lost. you've lost. If it's leading you to fight, if it's leading you into sin, it's an anger of man. So don't let it lead you into sin. And number two, don't let anger linger into bitterness. This is a warning for us to stop nursing our anger and feeding it. John Stott says that this comes from the Old Testament uh, way of living that said the Old Testament money lender who took a poor person's cloak as a pledge was required to restore it when the sun goes down so that, it, that they might sleep in it. Don't hold on to it. You, you need to give it back. They need to have a good night's rest. Don't hold on to things. Don't go to bed angry. If you're married, I, I'll challenge you. Don't go to bed and turn your back on each other. Don't go to bed angry deal with your anger quickly so it doesn't take root. Hebrews 12:15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble and by it many become defiled. The Hebrew culture uh, a poisonous plant was called bitter. It was called a bitter plant. And so poison was was what was referenced here. Poison destroys from within. And holding on to anger is like Take in poison. If not dealt with quickly, it can defile many relationships, not just between you and the other person, but all the other parties that are surrounding. It poisons you. It also poisons innocent parties. How many kids have been devastated by divorce because of the poison of bitterness that was in a marriage? Don't let it linger into bitterness, and don't let it lure you back into slavery you've heard it said you give an inch you'll take a mile right well this says don't make a spot for the devil to come sit in your life between you and another individual don't 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 save a seat for the enemy don't save a seat in that relationship for the for the enemy to come sit between you because he specializes in driving wedges between people and then once he does that he sees how far he can spread it in communal living Number three, put on giving in Christ. In a grace-fueled obedience, take off stealing and put on giving in Christ. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, the first two, you're like, all right, lying, anger, stealing. I think I'm good, right? You're like, maybe I can, I can get through this one. Well, Thou shalt not steal, right? Eighth commandment. In this congregation, there was probably people in Ephesus who were from a poor and hungry lifestyle. They were probably uh, times in their lives where they had, to, they had to steal in order to eat. And so, yeah, he's addressing that, but stealing is not, not just for one societal class. It's for everybody. This might be a shock to you, but rich people steal. Stealing is the fruit of sin, of a root sin of entitlement. We believe that we're entitled to better our own condition at the expense of others because we're selfish, we're self-centered, and we're self-focused. So it doesn't matter what class you come from, it doesn't matter if you're poor or rich, if you have a sense of entitlement, you'll try to take things that don't belong to you. So... How about this? No longer use unlawful or unethical means to gain what is not yours. As a believer, as someone who puts on Christ, then we, we take off trying to take things that aren't ours. This could include money. It could be possessions, properties, people. It's taking advantage of others in order to fill our own lives with things. But rather let him who labor do honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The biblical understanding of work for the believer is not to collect more, but to contribute more. This is so hard for us to to get because our entire world is telling you to get more, get more, get more, buy more, buy more, have more. But really as a believer in a communal thought of living, as we're putting on Christ, we're working in order to give more, to take care of the needs of others. That's the biblical understanding. Four, put on constructive talk in Christ. In grace filled obedience, take off corrupting talk and put on constructive talk in Christ. It says, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What is corrupting talk? Well, it's translated from the word that means rotten fruit or a rotten tree. Let no rotten words come out of your mouth. This is harmful speech of any kind, whether it be abusive language, vulgar speech, or slander or insulting words. It could also include off-color jokes, profanity, and dirty stories. You know, when you hear somebody talking like this, and then they say they're a believer, is it not just like a, oh, Really? it really reveals what's in our hearts. As Jesus said in Matthew 12, 33 through 37, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. James, likewise, points out that our words reveal what's in us. James 3, 5-12, how great a force to set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. Let me ask you, as you came in today and you sang songs of praise, did your your mouth also have corrupting talk earlier? maybe earlier in the week, maybe, listen, I know it's hard to get everybody here on Sunday morning as a family. You might've said things in the car. Now get it together. We're going into church, right? How can this be? A heart full of grace is evident in the grace that comes out in words. Let grace pour out of your mouths towards others. Verse 29, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Charles Hodge says, to grieve him is to wound him on whom our salvation depends. Though he will not finally withdraw from those in whom he dwells, yet when grieved he withholds the manifestations of his presence. If we continue to live in an unholy manner, after receiving salvation, we are rejecting the Holy Spirit's influence. We're rejecting his help, his aid, and a life that leads towards holiness. You, you think about these, lying, unrighteous anger, stealing, just you know, using people to get, get things, rotten speech, language. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes these don't make the, the big list of sins, right? These are kind of like normal, ordinary, but they're what grieve the Holy Spirit. Carelessness, in our words, grieves the Holy Spirit. So put on kindness in Christ. In grace-fueled obedience, take off unkindness, and put on kindness in Christ. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He goes on this final list here and he just be kind. And 1 John 4:20 if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So take off bitterness. Unkind bitterness. Bitter people keep score. They're full of resentment, harsh feelings, and unforgiveness. Let me ask you, do you keep score? Unkind wrath. It's violent motion. Rage. It's a blaze of sudden anger which quickly inflamed and then just as quickly dies. This this reminds me of a, a a teenage boy who gets so mad he just punches the wall or someone who throws something and they're like, all right, I'm over it, I'm over it. Unkind anger refers to an inner deep resentment. It's an animosity towards someone that you leave on the back burner and you just let it simmer. I just got, I'm just irritated by that person. It just just drives me up the wall and so you're just letting it simmer on the back burner. Take that off. Unkind clamor is noisy shouting. It describes people who get excited and so wound up that they raise their voice in an argument and start shouting, even screaming at each other. Is that not the most awkward thing in public when you see someone just yelling at someone else? And you're just like, oh. Now imagine if that was someone just yelling, just going off on somebody, and then they're like, now let me tell you about Jesus. Like, "They they don't go together unkind slander again the act of uttering hateful attacks or misrepresentations about someone to maliciously damage their reputation with others unkind malice it's just ill will a continual desire to see someone suffer rather be kind church be kind to one another tenderhearted, hearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you here's paul's conclusion walking manner of uh, walking worthy and a manner worthy is this Put on kindness in Christ. We should treat others as God has treated us in Christ. Can you treat other people that way? Aren't you so thankful how he treats you in Christ? Forgiven, loved, he's patient with you. He's kind towards you. Let's be that to other people because Christ is in us. So let's take off the old. Let's put on the new.